Hello everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Mangum Reads. We are continuing our run through Agatha Ward nominee and winning short stories uh, of kind of cozy mysteries, which, as discussed, we have increasingly less idea what that means as we read more of what are allegedly cozy mysteries. This time around, we are going to Grist for the Mill by Kaya George. Or K. George? K. George, probably? I would say yeah, K. George. K works. I think I was going for some combination of Kanye without the N there, and that's <laughs> probably not right. She could be his VP. <laughs> but before we get into a buzz discussing this story, Sarah, do you have a drink pairing recommendation for us and our readers? I do. I have been um, waiting for this opportunity to share my drink with you because it is it is one that I love, and it is, in fact, appropriate. I have a completely oh. classic Bee's Knees. Oh, perfect. Yes. Uh, okay. There could have been nothing else. <laughs> Which is, in fact, one of my th- favorite things to drink anyway. It is a, a take on, um, it's really sort of a type of a uh, gin sour. And so it is, um, but instead of a simple syrup, it's in fact a honey syrup. So um, after you kind of make the honey syrup, it's really essentially equal parts lemon juice and honey syrup and about two ounces of gin shaken and poured into a glass. Delightful. I figured it was I should have assumed it was going to be that, but from prior experience, I also thought that maybe you guys went back to that meadery and picked up some more um, various flavored mead, like what I got horrendously drunk on in your house that one time. Oh, that see, that would have been that would have been a good idea, but would in fact have required more planning than I am capable of doing right now. <laughs> well, what was it I even brought back with you? I think I think you guys convinced me to buy a whole bottle of blackberry mead. I think I, you like, did like the blackberry. It. I think that was that was you were very into that. Spencer. I housed like half of that by myself and that was dangerous. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because this story, as we will talk about, lots of bees in here. Uh, title, somewhat confusing. BJ, do bees and grist have anything to do with each other? As our resident okay, so, word investigator. Um, yeah, so I, I went down um, a very shallow hole <laughs> of uh, grist of bees there are quite a number of references to it, and by quite a number, I mean uh, between three and five um, of this being an actual thing. Legit, sure. But um, I think I have found where it originates, and Sarah, you might be the only person on this podcast that would have read it before. Okay, lay it on me. Um, the Oak Openings by James Fenimore Cooper is about a uh, honey hunter named Benjamin Bowden, nicknamed Ben Buzz, and it seems to be the one and only reference to a grist of bees is uh, associated with this book. I've never heard of this. Don't know anything Uh, about it. So James Fenimore Cooper was an author. Blast of Mohicans, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd say relatively famous one. Uh, So no, I like I have no um, understanding as to how this came about. It seems like the main character would have was hunting uh, honey near a mill, and there was uh, grist uh, on the bees um, and or, or around the bees, and so because of that, it was like a grist of bees because he was relating it to the grain of the mill. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as a 
cute little metaphor as some writers seem to do or something i don't know at this point um but that seems to be the the one and only place that it exists until everybody decided we have to have names for groups of things that were more interesting um like uh Parliament of Owls or things yeah, like that. Parliament of Owls, you know, a flamboyance, a flamboyance of flamingos, mm-hmm. like things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't dislike yeah. the term a grist for a group of bees, but it did not ring any ring any bells. Oh, it shouldn't have rung anything. Um, there are other huge problems with the places that are talking about a grist of bees. Um, one of which... So there are a bunch of collective nouns on the animalsandenglish.com <laughs> collective nouns etc. Sure. Page. Um, a bike of bees, a charm of bees, a cluster of bees, a colony of bees, a drift of bees, an erst of bees, a game of bees, a grist of bees, a hive of bees, a hum of bees, a nest of bees, a rabble of bees, a stand of bees, and a swarm of bees. And so in that list... <laughs> I feel like it has oddly good company with an erst of bees, but I hate both of them. <laughs> I I will admit to liking some of those names, and I do feel like some of them are appropriate, but there are entirely too many of them for them to make any sort of sense. There are all sorts of things. I, I don't know how much time I want to spend on this website going through weird Jeez. collective groups mm-hmm. of things, but it is not insignificant. Okay, well... If ever there were an aspect of the English language that did not develop organically, that just some bored English guy just started writing down in a book, (laughs) it's collective names. Sure. No one uses these. (laughs) People use these to purposely appear like a dick when they interrupt the flow of a conversation to point out that, oh, no, no, sorry, it's not a pack. It is an unkindness. Like, shut up. I didn't know that this was going to be the hill you were going to die on, Spencer. It, I... I'm the kind of pedantic bastard that would do that when I was younger, and so I'm, I'm hyper-responsive to it now of just how just utterly irrelevant these terms are. Oh, man. But. Apparently, a prettying of bitterns is a thing. No. No, it isn't. It never was. Or would so, you prefer a siege? You know what? It's a group. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of things. That's what it is. <sighs> well, For a story, though. Yeah, speaking of what it is, Spencer... Uh, well, I mean, as we like to initially do, do initial takes on this, I'm curious as to y'all's thoughts. Because from my perspective, this may be the most complete and, you know, unawkwardly assembled of the, what I might call, mysteries we've read of the Agatha Awards. Do y'all agree? So I do. Um, I actually, while this is not like... A, the most successful story I've read in the world. I do think for me, it's one of the most successful that we've read for this award. And in, in fact, I think it had a lot of the necessary elements of a good cozy mystery. It was missing one key one for me, but you know, maybe this, you mean the mystery? (laughs) Well, and I think we can talk about this in yes. Um, but I think that we can talk about this in the context of some of the other stories that we've read for this award, where like, because they're short stories, they they have focused on like a different 
time frame of the mystery than you would expect a complete cozy mystery to focus on. But we can get to that later. I actually kind of liked this story, though. BJ, please stop sending me group terms. <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> I did enjoy it well enough. Um, it, it had more of the feel of what I think it should have been. Mm -hmm. um, it still... It didn't... It's not a mystery... Um, we did, we did get a little bit more of, I don't know, the sense of characters and, and sort of a little bit of a story. Um, but I don't know. I feel like this it would have been laughed out of British television if you, if you called it a mystery. Well, see, and for, I, I think that you're right. For me, this actually feels, um, and I know we have to do the plot, but this feels a lot like the story we read about the restaurant i'm blanking on the name of it uh the last word mm -hmm. yes um where it's told it it feels again kind of like the confession that you would be getting yes um yeah in the complete picture of the cozy mystery um so maybe we can talk about maybe we can talk about that a little bit later no i mean i i very much agree it it almost feels like that the mystery that the investigator is now going to step in and try to solve has been set before mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. two people die next to each other at a at a meet and greet both poisoned by these odd things how did this happen yeah. why did this occur the mystery is set up for the for the uh, the amateur detective to solve yes but the story itself is not like the cozy mystery as we would normally right. see it no exactly um but for the story itself yes uh we essentially just have i would say two characters mm -hmm. uh we've got a kevin grady and we have a miss sessions um they are neighbors seemingly somewhere out in a pretty rural or you know isolated enough community uh kevin has a bit of a dark past it appears prior crimes, prior misdeeds, prior people he's harmed, a contemplation of hell that he's destined for. BJ, if you don't please stop sending me group <laughs> names. <laughs> My message window is just popping up nonstop with those. Is there, yes, is there a group name? You need to know about a phalanx of storks. Is there a group name for unwanted messages? <laughs> a BJ of messages. Um, so, Kevin has done a lot of bad things in his past. He is moved, tried to get tried to get beyond them, and one of those seems to be finding a different purpose in life to focus on. Mm -hmm. And one of those things he's come to focus on is not only his garden, but his bees. Specifically, this man yeah. is a bee. This man is a beekeeper. He's an apiarist, uh, and he puts a lot of passion, a lot of effort in. Them. He cares about these little fuzzy flying, fuzzy guys. And a dramatic point of tension that he has with his neighbor is not only a, she's not particularly social and doesn't appear to like him. The story begins with her seemingly taking active steps, active steps to kill off, or at least seriously hazard, that which he has now invested so much of himself in, is bees. Yeah, she is agent-oranging the entirety of her lawn. To, to the point of, agent-oranging seems a very accurate description of where she is using enough of this that she's going to kill her own lawn and property to prevent any bees from even crossing the property line. Yes. And our, like, uh, reformed criminal tries to be cool about it. Yeah, I mean, he's got history. He doesn't want to be associated with any problems. He also, she is his neighbor. And he legitimately thinks that there's an element of a misunderstanding going on mm -hmm. here. So I understand we had our quarrels in the past, maybe. Or, like, you, you're uncomfortable around me. But, like, this is going to hurt my bees. 
Yeah, and he, he, he immediately tries to extend an olive branch of where he goes by her house, he brings a little bit of honey with her. It's like, you know, clearly it's just some grudge she has with me. We can clear this up. And she does not respond well to this gesture in any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Get away from me. I'm going to call the cops. I hate bees. I hate you. I'm allergic. If I get exposed to anything bee-related, I'm going to die. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I think he actually even calls her out on this after the fact, but people who have bee allergies aren't allergic to honey, right? Right. I mean, it's it's allergic to the sting. Um, the toxin I mean, from the sting, I'm yeah. sure there are people that have honey allergies, but sure. that's going to be very separate. Um, mm-hmm. And and what he was referencing is that, that local honey is usually help, can be helpful for seasonal allergies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honey, honey is incredible. Uh, well, both if you want a to lot, preserve uh, brains and... it, it has a lot of health a lot of health and scientific advantages they're also now just starting to get exaggerated to all shit because the internet has taken hold of this idea but it, uh, if you want honey to is a lot of uses. a baby in ancient egypt uh, yes yep um <laughs> this is the podcast in which bj goes completely off the rails <laughs> um what you could drives say our I main... being in my mm-hmm. bonnet. You have a grist of bees in your bonnet in this point. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm going to try to keep us going. <laughs> so, what drives our main character a bit, gives him a bit of a bee in his bonnet, is that evening after she has started ancient oranging, ancient, ancient oranging her property, as you put it, Sarah, he discovers that a significant portion of his bees have not returned to the hive. Yes. Which mm-hmm. indicates that they have probably died in the field. This is the thing that would drive him to murder, or at least to ponder things that he can do. And upon realizing that she has this intense bee allergy that even the slightest bit could kill her, he gets an idea. He effectively reads online how he can harvest bee toxin uh, by getting an electric plate and having the bees just kind of sting it in a way that doesn't harm them, because their stingers won't get stuck, but does allow them to express a bit of their toxin onto the uh, electric plate. Is this a real thing? He, Does anyone this know? This is actually a thing. Okay. This is actually a thing. I think um, I've seen this done before, at least on like National Geographic. Okay. And he harvests this and then decides that he is going to make her a very special dish for the kind of potluck that the church is putting on there in the small town. He makes a nice salad, he makes a nice dressing, and he makes a separate side of this that, well, a separate bit of this in his pocket that he can sit next to her and sprinkle on her food when the time comes. I would say also that it's kind of interesting. Oh, go ahead, BJ. That he like does taste tests and like modifies his dressing to cover up to cover the, it the, the flavor. flavor. <laughs> the man has pride. Man has pride. Man has man has history. Um, so this goes into motion. They go to the potluck. It's very much church tables thing. He waits until she sits down so that he she can't get away from him, and he sits down next to her. They have what could resemble a polite conversation, and compared to previously, she actually seems to be responding in somewhat polite fashion, which could have sort of given him a few alarm bells, but <laughs> he's too focused on his own plan here. He waits till his moment, he gets a couple of the brownies that she made, or one brownie or so, um, and when she's not looking, he sprinkles a bit of this on her food. Uh, he apparently didn't do, didn't do enough taste work, because she actually responds pretty negatively to the taste, but she still eats it. And... While he's waiting there, no small amount of smug, she leans into him and has her own opportunity to be a bit smug here. Because apparently, she has been growing belladonna on her property. Uh, 
deadly nightshade, to use its more colloquial term, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which he knows enough to know can be very poisonous, as befits the colloquial term, uh, and that she is apparently baked into a brownie that she slipped very pointedly to him. And so here, at the end, two neighbors that hate each other, they find that they have respectively killed each other off with their grudges and die here next to each other at the same table, leaving, as said, a hell of a mystery for whatever investigator comes in next to solve. And I, I don't think I left out much. I think that's pretty much the entirety of the plot, right? That's that's about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's about it. I, th- I think it's interesting that like their ways of going about it are so hilariously different. Um, whereas like he kind of has masterminded a murder and she's just like i'm just gonna poison him like with whatever like is sort of convenient Uh um and obviously traceable and completely problematic um as opposed to there's some bee venom in a honey dressing and somebody's allergic to bees it being like a oh well you know any any number of ways where that could have gotten there sure um so she does seem to shoot a lot more from the hip. There's a lot less long-term planning on here, as shown before when she was, you know, agent oranging her own yard to keep the bees away. Um, but, yeah. So it was a perfectly pleasant story. Yeah. <laughs> With um, death and mayhem, which like is cozy mystery. So yeah. I don't. I mean, let's maybe start off by talking about like what what elements of the cozy mystery were actually done successfully here. Um, there was cozy. There was cozy, mm-hmm. unquestionably. Bees are definition cozy. I feel like uh, the the to the point about the bees, it, especially if you're watching a sort of like, since British TV did get brought up earlier in this podcast, if you are watching like the serial <laughs> British mystery, there's always like some specific hobby that is driving the plot. Yes, um, yeah, it's a very episode. common trope. There would a hundred percent be like a pump canister thing going if this were a British TV. Yes, show. absolutely. Um, so uh, it, it has that. The bees are critical for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the focus on the what would drive a man to murder mm-hmm. uh, aspect yeah. of the plot, which is a very common thing in cozy mystery. And I like that it's not some... A trope of cozy mystery is that it's often not something huge. Yes. It's often not like, you killed my brother, or something along the lines. It's something more petty, like, you are looking to get outside of my control. Or... Mm-hmm. You, you in some way vaguely thwarted a business deal. It's not something of where the other person has any reason necessarily to even know mm-hmm. that they're going to be under threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it's a neighborly dispute of the subject of bee livelihood. That's just perfect in that vein. Yes. Um, I think the setting, even, too, befits a cozy mystery of where it's small, small town. Sure. Oh, that's it. Yeah, but I mean, the <laughs> fact that, like, both of these neighbors who hate each other are also, like, inveterate churchgoers and go to the potlucks and all of that like that is very that feels very cozy mystery Mm -hmm. um Um, and i do think that this as we talked about at the top of the episode like the setup of this murder like once whoever our non-detective detective is comes in to try and figure out what happened the weirdness by which these two people actually died the pettiness of their grudge it's probably mm-hmm. somebody at the church is going to figure out. We might be in a in a kind of Father Brown scenario where the priest is the one who's yes. going to solve this mystery. <laughs> um, all of that feels right. Sad. We just never actually get to the mystery solving. 
Oh, no, yeah. we, we are introduced to our ultimate detective here at the end of this. It is Alice, the person that's sitting across from the church table. Oh, She's right. the one that's going to solve can do this Alice. crime. I was going to say uh, the sad broom-pushing sextant, but... <laughs> no, no, he's too sad. He's not paying attention. Alice, you notice, is honed in on the details of this. She's analyzing the vinegar. She's discussing the brownies. She's got mm-hmm. all the pieces right in front of her to solve this crime. Okay, that you've convinced me. I'm I'm sold on, on Alice as the ultimate... <laughs> Well, Ultimate I, hope, detective I, hope, here. I hope I'm not, you know, bearing the lead then that the sequel to this is Alice Solves the Crime. <laughs> I wish. It doesn't exist yet. But give her time. Sure. The author will come out with it. Um, but I, I, like you guys, I rather liked this. I wouldn't even put it in the top half when it comes to best written of these stories. We've actually had a few that have been pretty interestingly well written. This is just perfectly functional. Um, but it's it in no way set me off the way some of these other stories have <laughs> just being badly written or unpleasantly written. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, only meat and potatoes story that we've had yes. of this group. Yes. The, cl- I mean, the closest other one we've had to telling a complete story that was perfectly functional was, um, I've got the names here in front of me, it was Better, Better Days. Days. You guys remember that one? Yep. Art Taylor mm-hmm. on the North Carolina coast. Mm-hmm. But that one threw me off a bit just because the actual mystery element of the story was so shoehorned in to what otherwise was a relationship plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one, this story is about it's not the complete mystery, but it's about the mystery. It's about the motive, it's about the setup, it's about the development, and the mystery is left at the end. It is a much more mystery focused story than some of the other ones that we've had that would, could arguably be referred to as more complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, I mean, kind of to that point, too, I think for me, out of all of the stories that we have we have read for this award, this is the one, while they have all been lacking something or doing something weird with the genre or that we still don't quite know what it means in a short story, um, this is the one where I feel like I would have happily read the full novel of this story that actually goes full cozy mystery on it um, because it felt the closest to me. I, this would be a good closing chapter or two, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. of a cozy mystery. Right. Like some insurance investigator is, you know, hired because they both had life insurance policies to investigate the cause of their death and go into the background of how this developed and all the various other scenes to lead to the ultimate resolution. Yeah. Um but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not it, over, it's over much fine. to say about it. it, it's, it, it, yeah. it, it, it it's simple, it's cute, it's effective. I I don't want to say I would actually murder for the sake of protecting bees, but I think I would have been a, a, a least a level of pissed if my neighbor was very much intentionally trying to kill them if I was, you know, raising bees. Have either of you ever had, like, a, an actually malevolent neighbor? I've never had a neighbor that actually meant ill for me and mine or my stuff kind of thing. I've had unpleasant neighbors, but most of them just were, you know, dicks that otherwise kept to themselves. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like actual malevolent neighbors. I mean, I think there are two instances where I could see them being the start of cozy mysteries Ooh, kind of thing. Do tell. Um, <laughs> well, so well, uh, like my grandmother's neighbor, like growing up, had two toy poodles oh, that this already were... does sound like the start of a cozy mystery bj right mm-hmm. so so they were let out to go to the bathroom rather than really walked mm-hmm. and so the front yard had landmines Everywhere. the time and it was just like sometimes they would have them out on a leash and only poop on their yard but like very frequently it wasn't 
restricted to their yard. Were they, they weren't the most pleasant people, but they weren't terrible. But, like, it was a constant source of frustration. Um, Enough to drive then, you to kill? Uh, I mean, I was, like, four or five, so <laughs> probably. Um <laughs> I mean, it's you we're talking about. I don't I don't assume you were ever young. I just figure you were smaller. <laughs> That's true. Um, and then uh, one of my dad's neighbors um, almost definitely uh, stole one of, like, a cat. So what? Uh, growing up, yeah, so we had, like... Uh, up until I was like nine or ten, we had like a great mouser, indoor outdoor cat. Mm-hmm. Um, I now understand a little bit more about the problems of, of said sure. said things, but it, a little bit more useful when mice are a significant problem. Uh, got a cat afterwards that uh, at some point disappeared for like a week or two, and then came back. You know, had a collar and, and everything, and then, you know, at some point later disappeared again. And it's kind of like, uh, hmm, putting that together. Uh, probably one of the neighbors just decided that they wanted a cat. Because, like, there, there weren't, like, there was a road, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, this was kind of middle of nowhere. Um, I mean, now it's a suburb, but then it was, like, not even really a suburb of like Baltimore or DC area. Sure. Yeah, I feel um, like a stolen pet is is absolutely yeah. cause for murder. <laughs> uh, Mental note, Sarah's neighbors. That is the line right there. Yeah, you better believe it. I have been following this Lady Gaga story with great interest, guys. Oh, the French bulldogs. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It, it, it's been interesting to hear that apparently one of the dominant thoughts among police is that it may have, they may have had no knowledge that they were Lady Gaga's dogs. It may have just been a continuation <laughs> of a rash of French bulldog thefts that have been happening across the country. Wow. That makes sense. But in my head, I was just like, well, of course the dogs don't know that they're Lady Gaga's <laughs> no, dogs. <laughs> no. That's a Spencerism, dude. Get it out of your head. <laughs> Uh, but no, apparently, there have been a lot of thefts happening across the country of French Bulldogs because they're selling for up to $10,000 a pop right now. My goodness. So it, there's just a national trade in the subject of stolen French Bulldogs. Interesting. That's wild. So Spencer, like, what, what are your neighborly experiences? Because, I mean, Sarah, I want to go back to you, but I imagine you've had the neighbors that you grew up with and then, like, two others, maybe? Yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't have a whole bunch of neighbors in my life, but I'll, I'll be happy to share. I mean, me, almost none of them have been direct because I, I don't talk to people. So, you know, it's mostly been indirect through other people that have had to deal with them or whatever else. But particularly down here in Florida, we've mostly rented. And we've had neighbors that have, like, called our landlord on us because we had a couple things in the carport. Like, we we, had, uh, we were moving a couple boxes and we left a couple boxes just in our carport, you know, like that area, you know, where you, where you could pull your car in, but we should park our cars outside of it. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor, com- the neighbor complained to our landlord and threatened to call code enforcement unless we moved the boxes inside immediately. Yikes. And we, we've had several neighbors like that that are just aggressively protective of the character and spotlessness of the community, and anything that doesn't fit within their guidelines, they'll immediately start to raise hell about. And these are neighbors that you have, like, otherwise not had any interactions with. 
or, or very little or often even perfectly pleasant mm-hmm. but they that is their thing Oof. that they are going to not allow anyone to destroy the fabric of their community yeah everybody's got to have a hobby i suppose <laughs> complaining to code enforcement apparently is for some of them <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I've had mostly pleasant neighbors, um, many of whom have been like very much in my business, but I think it's meant out of care. <laughs> uh, like the one that tried to get us to move a piano into your house while you were away? Yeah, that might have been the cause for a cozy mystery as well. <laughs> The case of the appearing piano. Um, <laughs> and the murder in the neighborhood mm. the next day. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're, they they are... I choose to think that my neighbors are just looking out for me. I, yeah, I think that there's that. They're also... I think you're, like, two generations younger are, than, like, all of your neighbors. significantly younger than everyone on our block. And, in fact, most of our neighborhood and they do feel like a sense of possession of us as well. Um, so the most, the most I have gotten out of them is calls when we have chosen to park an extra car in somebody else's extra parking spot, mm-hmm. volunteering their own parking spot for us, which is hard to complain about, but it is also said mm-hmm. like clearly with a bit of a grudge against the other neighbor <laughs> for having <laughs> offered up their parking spot first. Um, there was also That's at really one funny. point a, a fight over who was going to look after our dog when we were on vacation. So um, there might be a cozy mystery, a, a murder that happens in my neighborhood, but I think that it will be around us, not... <laughs> you guys will be the amateur us. detectives. Yes. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of just a weird thing that happened in Illinois. Um, And this could have been a not so cozy mystery uh, that ended up happening, I think. Okay. So it was just like this weird um, argument that like, um, so I was in a condo uh, complex and there, so groups of eight per building. Um, Everybody had their own entrance. So it wasn't like a shared floor or anything. And so there were tons of people that I never saw um basically ever partially because i lived weirder hours um given that i was in grad school Mm -hmm. and partially because um my desire to interact with anybody at any given time is relatively low so like i wouldn't i guess there probably were social things that were going on but they weren't what i was doing um and i came out at some point to a bunch of people yelling and uh fire on the shared grounds uh, of a bunch of dried grass wow and um like and people were just yelling at each other and whatever and and complaining about it and i was just like okay you guys are insane i'm gonna go fill up a bucket and put put out the fire (laughs) um so basically what had happened was like the uh, person that I guess was contracted by um, this is a much more complicated story if I tell you by who but the person that was contracted to take care of the shared grounds um, apparently told their workers that they needed to just get rid of this dried grass um, but they didn't provide like 
significant digging tools or whatever and so they just decided to burn it to which the response of a bunch of, well, of at least one of the neighbors was to come out start yelling at them and get aggressive and racist oh, and while there was just a fire and the cops were called and the fire department was called <laughs> oh and it was just gosh. like oh my god this is a tiny fire and all you people are insane <laughs> um so i didn't have a problem with the neighbors but then but there were problems in my neighborhood fair enough boy howdy so i think you know this is the last of the agatha award stories that we have read but i do believe that we mm-hmm. are going to move on after this to an actual an actual agatha story is that right uh I yeah i think so i think we should do our normal recap maybe a little bit shorter than some of our others yeah. given our um maybe distaste uh for for what ended up being the award nominees yes. um but then we had also discussed doing um and then there were none so are we going to do those yes. as the same episode i think that'd be uh, fun okay yeah i think that'd be fun or you know figure out how long we might want to discuss and then sure. there were none well um, a key, a key, a key we'll question say. key question key question Mm-hmm. When you say, and then there were none, yes. you mean the short story, novella, and then there were none, not Ten Little Indians, the play, right? What? That's a great Wait. question. Because um, the play is, t- is Ten Little Indians, and it is a very different read and shorter than the novella. I'm perfectly down with reading the novella. I just want to make sure that that's what we're doing. Yes, My let's read the novella. just fell off the bed. Oh, no. <laughs> he tried to jump so high and so fell, fell so far. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do the novella simply because we don't have a lot of experience discussing plays. I yeah. I think that's a better idea, and honestly, between the two, I kind of prefer the novella just because I like I like the uh, how it wraps up better. Yeah, I think I read the play first when I was like ten, and was mm-hmm. deeply confused. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that it had a different title at some point. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, okay. So so. Uh, our game plan, and we'll probably, I'm betting we're going to break this up into two episodes, because and, and then there <laughs> were none, is thick. It's, it's it complicated. A lot going on. I, I am the eternal optimist on these things. Though. So, our, our game plan is that sometime over the next few weeks, we're going to do a recap of our thoughts of these various short story nominees, where we where would we would come in ranking them, yes. and as we've done before in our short story, you know, recaps, comparing them to various food groups, which this time will be fascinating. That will be we come interesting, down on yes. That. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to Agatha Christie's, and then there were none, which I'm looking forward to quite a bit. But in terms of wrapping up the story, do we have anything else to discuss? Or are we just kind of in the, I don't know, the kind of little happy, simple feeling of having some tea with some honey in it? I think, yeah, I think that this is a, a just a little honey drop of a story, and we can move move right along. <laughs> yeah, after many. Uh terrible flavors of birdies bots <laughs> we finally got a good one <laughs> we we finally got one that wasn't ridiculously disgusting so we're just gonna end it there Perfect. No, this, this is this is like we went through um those the, what, what what are they called again Harry potter birdie, birdie bots, bots every flavor beans this is not like we got something necessarily good this is like we got a mild toffee yes it's like it it, it is just this it's, is wheat flavored <laughs> it's fine <laughs> Like, I wouldn't go for it, but, like, it's not boogers, so... Oh, boy. If people are looking for other things that aren't boogers, BJ, where might they go? 
Um, they can go all sorts of places, but we recommend that you go to mangumtalks.com for all of our podcasts, including Pottering Around, our chapter-by-chapter read of the Harry Potter world in which we are going through book four, which is Sarah's favorite, and I think maybe the rest of ours currently, um, Goblet of Fire, um, as well as, uh... You can check out the moves that Spencer's putting on Terry. And uh, Spencer, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing on Talks TV? I don't even know what I'm doing now with that description of what I'm apparently doing. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we discuss TV shows, contrary to BJ's assumptions about what we do. And uh, right now we're going through a, reca- a recap and discussion and review of Queen's Gambit. Uh, we've gone through... Most of the episodes we're in the back two right now, um, and I end every episode with a overlong Wikipedia spiral on something I found interesting in the given episode. But it's been quite a bit of fun to do that, and hope people want to listen in. Spencer, like, chess moves? I was never going to get that reference, BJ. Never. Okay. Anyway, um, but you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can click contact us in the upper right-hand corner. You can also go to Facebook uh, and search for Mangum Reads, and we have a page, and we post things there. Um, every so often when I get the hankering to do some uh, engagement on social media. And supposedly we also have an Instagram, though I understand that even less than Facebook. But you can find us on those places. And as usual, it's been fun, y'all. Bye, guys. Bye.